3: is the Tom Hartman Program.
4: Well, it's another huge news day today. Welcome to our program. I want to get into uh, my op-ed today about how minority rule is killing America. Also, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse may drop by toward the end of this hour about the future of Roe and uh, how the Supreme Court got packed. Joyce Nance will be with us about the romanticification of crime inside the mind of Vicki White you're gonna find this fascinating but to start out my op-ed today over at HartmanReport.com is titled how minority rule is killing America and it really is I mean this is most obvious in the Supreme Court and the United States Senate but it also extends to the US House and to state capitals all over the country and there's a a couple of reasons for this first of all the problems with minority rule with minority rule We are going against nature. Nature is majority rule in almost every single case. You see a school of fish swimming, and then as if they're telepathically connected, they all move to the left and then move to the right. We've all seen this, right? You see it with a swarm of gnats or a a swarm of bees. They all seem to, to move like they're telepathically linked. What's actually going on in this process is democracy. When more than 50% of the birds flying along have tilted themselves uh, two or three degrees to the right, suddenly the whole flock moves two or three degrees to the right. When more than half of the fish have twitched themselves a little bit to the left, the whole school of fish swims to the left. It's democracy, majority rules. And humans are wired this way, too. I mean, this is something that's in the DNA of pretty much every animal on Earth, and it's there because we make better decisions when everybody's involved. Aristotle pointed this out in politics, you know, 3,000 years ago, where he talked about even a, even a large collection of, of bad people will produce a, good, a better result than any one individual. So this is us, right? This is how we're wired for majority rule. And yet, we have an electoral college that has given us two presidents, were rejected by the majority, George W. Bush and Donald Trump. The majority of Americans did not vote for them. They voted for somebody else, for Hillary Clinton and Al Gore. It's straightforward stuff. You would think, well, we've got the Electoral College because back in the day when they were putting the country together, our country was as big as all of continental Europe. It was huge. And there was no way that, that the American people could get to know a presidential candidate. Now, all of this became you know, an anachronism by the time, by the 1880s, when the Telegraph was, had pretty much, you know, covered America. But it was, you know, it was something that was arguably useful at the founding of the republic, but we're still stuck with it. And the result is that it has been gamed. A small group of right-wing billionaires and religious fanatics have figured out how to game the system. And thus, we got two presidents that weren't elected by the majority of the people in the last century. It's also the same thing happening with the Supreme Court. You have minority rule in the Senate, which I'll get to in just a second. So Mitch McConnell was able to withhold hearings for Merrick Garland, thus getting Neil Gorsuch into the court. Donald Trump apparently blackmailed Justice Kennedy into leaving the court. So we got, we got beer bong Brett. And then, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died just before the election. Uh, D- Donald Trump loses the election, and boom, he instantly shoves, you know, handmaiden Amy in there. Minority rule. The Senate itself, the Democrats in the Senate represent 41 more Americans than do the Republicans. But the Senate is 50-50. And with the filibuster, the Republicans in the Senate have been able to block a whole lot of meaningful stuff that the, the Democrats want to do. This is minority rule. We see it in state after state. North Carolina, Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia, Texas, Arizona, Kentucky. You've got a bunch of states. Of all those states, only two of them have Republican governors. The rest all have Democratic governors. Because when you ask all the voters in the state, do you want a Democrat or Republican, they say, we want Democrats. And yet, they're sending disproportionately Republican delegations to the U.S. House of Representatives and their State House and their State Senates are controlled by Republicans, even though most people voted for Democrats. Why? Because of gerrymandering, minority rule. And this is tearing America apart. We are wired for majority rule. We're wired for fairness. And we don't have that right now. And this needs to be at the very top of the Democratic Party's agenda. Unpacking and expanding the Supreme Court so that they reflect the opinions of the majority of Americans, majority rule, number one. Number two, adding Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. as states to compensate for the fact that California, California has 39 million people. That's 2 million more people than the entire country of Canada. The economy of California is bigger than Russia's. And yet, California has two senators, as does Wyoming, with a little over 500,000 people and and an economy about the size of, I don't know, Micronesia, and a population the size of that. Is that fair? No, it's not fair. So, how do we rebalance that? We'll add a couple new states. Washington, D.C., should have been a state from the very beginning, and Puerto Rico wants to be a state. And then let's also do something about gerrymanders. Let's pass a constant, and this was, by the way, this was in one of those pieces of legislation that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema joined all of the Republicans in filibustering to say that, you know, we're going to now draw congressional maps based on population, not on politics, and not on race. Seems pretty straightforward to me. So what's on your mind today? Here on the Tom Hartman program, the place where smart people get their news. A fascinating piece over at Common Dreams titled, Republicans Don't Believe in Freedom, Only Power. And I think that this is, you know, it, 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 the, the author makes some, some really good points in this. I, I'm, I'm sorry, when I print these things out, the author's name doesn't come through. So, uh, my apologies, but you can find it at Common Dreams. Um, but, you know, re- Republicans have been using this word. They've kind of co opted this word, freedom or liberty. Uh, they've co opted these words since the late 70s and, and used them uh, as a branding device, basically. I mean, this is just good old fashioned branding. And while they claim to be the party of freedom, when they talk about freedom, what they're really talking about is the freedom of billionaires to not pay taxes, the freedom of giant polluting corporations to continue putting poisons in the air and poisons into our food and poisons into the water and, and produce products that are dangerous. In other words, de, de, the freedom of deregulation and, and, and frankly, freedom from oversight. I mean, this is what Republicans are talking about when they say freedom. And this author echoes the point that Franklin Roosevelt made with his uh, his second Bill of Rights and the the point that I've made in dozens of op-eds that I've written over the years. But I'll just just quote some little pieces of this. In reality, the Republican agenda centers on taking away freedom. Uh, For example, the freedom of when, how, and with whom to start a family. The freedom to discuss sexual orientation and gender identity in the classroom. Republicans want to take away the freedom of trans people to receive life saving, gender affirming care, or frankly, to just live as as full human beings in our society. Republicans want to take away students freedom to learn about America's history, including our history of racism, discrimination and frankly, genocide against native people. Republicans are chipping away at the most fundamental freedom of all, the right to vote. And the Supreme Court has supported this, supported them in this last year or maybe it was the year before um uh when ohio maybe it was in fact maybe it was 2019 when ohio wanted to start sending postcards into black neighborhoods in big cities saying if you don't return this postcard in the u.s mail we're going to take your name off the voting rolls and and the postcard looked just like spam it's called caging it's a way of stripping people off the voting rolls when republicans wanted to do that they got sued it went to the supreme court And five right wing conservatives on the Supreme Court said, oh, it's fine with us. Go ahead do it. And so now that's happening all over the country. Can you really be free if you're saddled with medical debt? Can you really be free if you have no voice in your workplace, if you don't have access to a union? Can you really be free if you're not paid a living wage? Yeah, Republicans, freedom, not so much. Cliff in Santa Clarita, California. Hey, Cliff, what's on your mind today?
5: good morning tom george bush and dick cheney are still war criminals and they always will be amen hey i'm going to give a couple examples of which there are many remember back when uh, ralph reed and all the right-wing politicians when gay marriage was starting to be proposed for them the next the next logical step was people marrying their pets
4: yeah i, having I remember having those people come on this program and and try to make yeah. that case <laughs> Next, yeah. people and then, are going to want to marry their dogs. And I'm like, really?
5: Right. And the, and then the the cannabis debate. Remember before the cannabis thing was happening, they were talking about traffic fatalities are going to go up and people are going to wreck their cars.
4: Oh yeah, I, I haven't heard any
5: too. statistics. Yeah, I don't have. I haven't heard any statistics about that, but uh, to the best of my knowledge, that didn't occur.
4: Well, I guarantee you, if it had, there would be people yelling and screaming uh, about it from the tobacco industry, or excuse me, the alcohol industry. Uh, They they would have hired a PR firm, and everybody in America would know about it. And I haven't heard of anybody wanting to marry their dog.
5: Right. Of course. What I'm talking about is this fabricated hysteria that these people bring up. I think the newest one is, you know, critical race theory and liberal. Um, indoctrination. Right. It's just more fabricated nonsense and yeah. I'm just hoping at some point Tom that people realize more people realize that they're just being bamboozled by these folks and that they could think for themselves and, and see through this malarkey
4: as Mr. Biden would say. Right. Well said, Cliff. This the these are these things are by the way are they they're called moral panics and uh this is uh you know this is what the republican party has had to resort to because they've got nothing else they they've got nothing for the american people other than bigotry and hate and so they they invent these moral panics and then they try to run the campaign on them and it works for a short period of time and then it's gone cliff thank you for the call justin in maui hawaii hey justin what's on your mind today
1: aloha, Tom. aloha. um so i wanted to express my enthusiasm and excitement and uh kind of Focus attention on next week's first congressional hearings on UFOs—the first in 50 years. Isn't that I mean, going to be fascinating,
4: is... Justin? I'm yes. looking forward to it. I mean, our it.
1: culture has been fascinated with this from movies like *Fire in the Sky*, *Close Encounters*, and then you have all these supposed, you know, government officials working with private people like Bob Lazar and Stephen Greer and. Jeremy uh, Corbel and Tom uh, uh, DeLong. And it's really, I'm excited. I mean, I've always, this has been the biggest question of my life. And I was just curious, you know, I feel, you know, listening to your show, that we're not very intelligent species and um, we're in need of an intervention. <laughs> and, you know, I was just wondering if what you were going to do next week, if you were going to cover it, if you are going to bring other people on to talk about it, because this is really important.
4: I we I don't know we haven't had a conversation about it I'll have to discuss it with Sean and Louise but you know which is you know the three of us are kind of a who's going to be on the show team but thanks for reminding me Justin and I, I, you know it's it's uh, definitely worth flagging I I am very much looking forward to it yeah I yeah, was I, I believe I
1: believe the whole the whole thought is to like our, our government is doesn't really know what this is. There's a lot of different things to go into and but they have a lot of information and it's better that we all have some sort of knowledge of what they know. So even if they can't tell us, you know, exactly what it is or where it's from and let's just all get into this together and you know not be afraid of not knowing everything yeah
4: uh, I, i'm with you i was uh, i think i was six years old when my dad gave me a copy of george Damsky's inside this Sp- the flying saucers have landed or inside the spaceships and it was an amazing book anyhow marty in uh, uh wixom michigan hey marty what's on your mind today
6: hey tom love your show thank you in contrast to the terrible media coverage that he received i'd like to argue that history will record joe biden as one of the greatest u.s presidents and if okay. you allow me, build getting- your case. You have a minute. All right. Well, with the exception of Abraham Lincoln and Franklin Roosevelt, no president has ever faced greater challenges, and no president in history has faced a large number and variety of crises in such a short period of time. Folks should recall that when he took office, he faced both the worst health pandemic in a hundred years, as well as the worst economic recession since the Great Depression. And it's easy to forget he also faced an absolutely unprecedented situation where the prior president was attempting a, q- a coup and refusing to concede transitional power. Yep. No other president has faced that magnitude of combined crises. And his record and response has been phenomenal. He I inherited a situation with only 2% of the public vaccinated and over 3,000 people a day were dying of covid In just a year, he made life-saving vaccinations universally available at no charge, got 70% of the population vaccinated. He also inherited a deep economic recession with unemployment at 6.8% and rising. He passed the American Rescue Plan, created 7.4 million jobs. There you go.
4: Marty, I'm sorry we're out of time, but it's a great list. Thank you very much for the call. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com Hartman. A fascinating piece over a national memo about a fellow by the name of G. Klein Preston IV, a lawyer who works with conservative legal groups in Michigan, uh, has been working to overthrow the 2020 election for nearly 20 years, he says. uh, He's been working with the Republican politicians. He says he's a family friend of Senator Marsha Blackburn of uh, Tennessee. And uh, turns out he's also got some ties to Russia shall we say is this guy the only guy is he the uh, this guy in michigan is he the outlier the one who is like you know snuggling up with maria butina and and tweeting that uh, uh, vladimir putin should be the next nominee for president of the united states or does the republican party have a much deeper problem with russian infiltration or for that matter russian control of the party and its messages on the line with us is john nichols the national affairs correspondent for the nation magazine He's the author of a new book, *Horsemen of the Trumpocalypse, A Field Guide to the Most Dangerous People in America. The website, of course, thenation.com. John's Twitter handle is Nichols Uprising, N-I-C-H-O-L-S Uprising, or at the nation. John, welcome back to the program. It's been a while since we've talked. I'm, I'm glad to have you back on here. Um, I'm, I'm reading pieces here and there that suggest that the Russian infiltration of the GOP really started around 2008. Steve Schmidt has been talking about this. What's the
2: deal here? Well, the deal is it goes back even longer than 2008. I've got a big piece up at The Nation. uh, We put it up yesterday um, that goes into just how deeply tied particular Republican consultants have been to Russian oligarchs. And some of those ties go back as far as the late 1990s, early 2000s, And the key players to keep an eye on are Paul Manafort, who people have heard a lot about, but also Rick Davis, who served as the campaign manager for John McCain's 2000 and 2008 presidential campaigns. And they're not the only ones by far, but their deep, deep connection to particular Russian oligarchs and also to uh, Ukrainian political players who were associated with those oligarchs and with Putin uh, give us a a much clearer picture of a long-term Russian influence and particularly oligarch influence on the Republican party.
4: To what extent is you know, oligarchs kind of by definition are typically billionaires or just mind-bogglingly rich people. To what extent is it your sense that these Russian oligarchs are trying to infiltrate American politics in order to keep our laws such, given that America is the best place in the world to stash your illicit cash, right? If you wanna launder money, this is the place to do it. And frankly, real estate is one of the most effective ways to launder money. I'm of the opinion that Donald Trump has been laundering money for these people for decades, particularly since his six bankruptcies in the 90s. To what extent do you think that their involvement in the GOP is basically financial uh, versus ideological or, or, or you know, acting on behalf of Putin. I mean, Putin wasn't even a player in the
2: 90s. Yeah. And I think your point is very well taken. Uh, I think that the initial contacts that are made between oligarchs like uh, Oleg, Oleg Deripaska and others uh, to Russian con- or to Republican consultants is to get something for themselves, to get a visa, to get uh, clearances to make investments, to, to do all the things that might allow them to hide their money or also to uh, just simply make money in the U.S., use their, their vast wealth to then invest and make more money in the U.S. So that's certainly a reality. But um, these oligarchs also intersect with and have a lot of uh, involvement in places like Ukraine. And so as a result, As the the initial connection is focused on enriching themselves, on on getting entry into the U.S., on getting advantages, visas, things like that, Uh, as it builds out, and these are long-term relationships with Republican consultants, you end up in situations where those consultants are also bringing the politics of, say, the Russia-Ukraine relationship into Republican you know, meetings into Republican activities. And the classic example of this came, you know, very obviously in 2016, when Trump was there, when they rewrote the Republican platform to shift it from a stance of being very supportive of Ukraine to a stance of being much more in line with where the Russians were.
4: Yeah. Yeah, This is amazing. Now, Now, in 2015, in December of 2015 there was a big uh, pro-gun meeting in Moscow that the NRA was very involved in. Um, Maria Butina, the, the Russian spy, was uh, involved in all this kind of stuff, apparently. Um, she was hooking up with Republican politicians and consultants across the United States. Um, how, how, and, and then we just saw, in fact, we've seen two or three pieces of legislation now that would benefit Ukraine where uh, the small handful of Republicans, you know, Thomas Massey and, and Paul Gosar and uh,
7: uh,
4: Gates and, and uh, Boebert and, and Green and, and there's, a, you know, another, uh, you know, handful of them whose names are not immediately coming to mind, who all voted against it. I mean, they're, they're basically kind of the Putin voting bloc. Are they doing this because they have financial connections to Russia? Are they doing this because they simply, you know, uh, think that Putin is right and, and America is wrong? Are they, I, I, I don't understand why, uh, you know, why they would be voting this way. It, or, or is it because of what I think is the biggest story in America that doesn't get covered every day, which is, and, and, and frankly, I think it should be every single time the word Donald Trump is mentioned, this should be mentioned, is that to this day, Donald Trump has refused to say that the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is a bad thing. He's still supportive of, of to, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, John, but to the best of my knowledge, Donald Trump is still supportive of Putin attacking Ukraine. And our media talk about Trump all the time, and they never, ever mention this.
2: Well, I think this is so. You you put a lot on the table here, yeah. and let's let's go to that that core, uh question of you know how many Republicans are actually you know kind of actively uh, dismissive of uh, the cries of Ukrainians for support and aid, um, and it's not as small as as some think. You know, fifty seven Republicans voted against the latest Ukraine aid package in the house of representatives that's a lot of it's growing yeah it's it's a very substantial number and many of them uh folks whose names you wouldn't know uh you know they're not the the screamers and yellers if you will of the the extreme right in the republican party and so yeah it's it's a substantial block remember also that uh republicans just nominated for the u.s senate in ohio a candidate jd vance who said you know at the time of the invasion you know, he really wasn't concerned one way or the other about what happened to Ukraine. And so he's sort of softened that a little bit. But the reality is that that Vance has sent a tremendous number of signals that, A, he's not particularly interested in Ukraine, and B, that um, he's not particularly critical of Russia. And so you have a substantial block within the Republican Party. It's not the whole Republican Party. But as you suggest, it is an awful lot of folks who are very closely associated with Donald Trump. And if we could spend the rest of the show talking about Donald Trump's financial ties to Deutsche Bank. And well, I think he has been an uh,
4: agent of Putin since the 90s. I mean, I, I, yeah, he's been but, dancing to Putin's tune. I
2: think he's a wholly owned division of Putin, Inc. And there's, and there's certainly an awful lot of evidence that would point in that direction. And it would also demand an inquiry that Congress has never really done. And, and that's one of the more unsettling realities. Some elements right. of this out during the impeachments, but we never really got. And the Mueller report. The- yeah, Mueller reports, actually, this is one of the, the sad realities, some of the best stuff in the Mueller report, which which wasn't perfect and which had its, you know, I have always thought the Mueller inquiry went on too long. It had had uh, a lot of places where it wasn't as focused as I thought it should be. But boy, when you get to some of these ties and particularly to the Manafort tie, uh, you, you just see a, a very clearly drawn connection. And if I can just extend that out. It's important to understand that while we talk about Trump a great deal, we need to understand that what Steve Schmidt, the former McCain campaign aide and uh, now very active Never Trump uh, spokesman, uh, what he's said in recent days is very, very profound and very important. He's pointing out that back in 2007, 2008, during the McCain campaign, a campaign basically you know run by a guy who was very critical of Russia, But during the McCain campaign, you had people who were intimately tied, you know, economically tied to these oligarchs, uh, having great influence on the campaign right up to the campaign manager. And you ended up in a situation where John McCain himself ended up meeting with an oligarch who was referred to as Putin's favorite oligarch. And so even where you have Republicans who are not, uh, you know, Big supporters of russia or anything like that who might be very very sympathetic to ukraine they are still being brought into the circles of these oligarchs by campaign consultants and by campaign strategists who are some of the more you know have been over the years some of the more permanent fixtures in the republican party it's always important to look look at those consultants and strategists because that's usually where you see the way that the oligarchs buy their way in and buy their influence.
4: Oh, Amen. We're talking with John McCain. He's got a new piece in the nation. It's titled, Steve Schmidt is Right. The Degeneration of the GOP Began Long Before Trump, Operatives with Ties to Putin, oligarch, Putin's Oligarch Ran John McCain's Campaigns. Um, so uh, John, we've got about a, a minute here before we're going to hit a break I can't control. What do we do about this, and how extensive is this with regard to other oligarchs around the world? I mean, are there Filipino oligarchs who are, you know, lobbying on behalf of the, the
2: the Marcos family? Yeah, Look, you got exactly to the heart of the matter. The fact is, this isn't just about Russian oligarchs, this is about oligarchs and dictators and bad political players around the world, and one of the worst things that happens is that political consultants who run the campaigns, who we see on TV talking about presidential candidates, in their off time run lobbying operations and international political operations where they take huge amounts of money from oligarchs in other countries. And that intersection of that foreign money and these consultants has to be examined. And frankly, look, I don't care where that examination goes. If it goes through the Republican party and even into some Democrats, fabulous. Let's get to the bottom of it and find out who is buying influence in our politics, yeah. and in our government. Very, very quick, John. Is,
4: is there any evidence that this is happening in the Democratic Party as well as the Republican Party?
2: Now, I just, I, I always say that I, I'm, I'm open to wherever the investigation goes. And I'm sure you might find some, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, narrow But you this, don't know of any yes, Democratic, Republican
4: Democratic consultants who are, who are wired no. into these oligarchs. Okay. John Nichols with The Nation. Uh, check it out. John, thanks so much.
2: Thank you so much.
4: It's good to be with you. And let's try Mark in Kingston, Washington. Hey, Mark. Thanks for listening to KBCS. What's up? Hey,
8: Tom. Um, Regarding the aid to Ukraine, I think it's a good idea. But I think that the monies that go there should come out of the Defense Department. Uh, We've already got a bloated defense budget that, you know, this is defense. And they could easily do it by cycling out stock that they have. On on the floor in the Defense Department, and then the Defense Department paying for their new armaments coming in. That way, it wouldn't be coming out of the general fund.
4: That's well, a possibility. I I, uh, I I'm not an expert on the defense budget, other than believing that it's bloated. <laughs> but uh, yeah, by all you know, means, seems like a seems like a reasonable option. I mean that that the other thing that comes to mind immediately, where I thought you were going with this, is uh, you'll recall Donald Trump took $5 billion out of the defense budget and redirected it to building a wall with Mexico?
5: Yeah. uh, Even though Congress hadn't authorized it? Right.
4: So, you know, apparently it is possible for a president to do this by executive order. And, uh, And presumably he could even do that in anticipation of legislation coming down the road. So Biden could say, okay, they need the weapons right now. Here's the executive order transferring these weapons from the DOD to Ukraine. And by the way, I'm putting legislation before Congress to replace them. Yeah. Was, is, that, is that in the spirit of what you're talking about?
8: Well, I wouldn't want the money to come out of the general fund. I would want it to come out of the Defense Department allocation, which is, you know, it's either 600, it's, it's boggling, it's either 667 billion or 67 billion. I don't have those figures right in front of me. Yeah. But it's it's huge and it's unaudited, which is another problem, but that's a whole other story. Right,
4: no, I'm, I get it, I get it. Thank you, Mark, good idea.
9: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
4: You know, there was this fascinating story over the past week, past two weeks, I guess, actually, about uh, Casey White and Vicki White, two unrelated people. Casey was a, uh, a convicted murderer, or, uh, yeah, I guess he was convicted. And Vicki White was a corrections officer, and they escaped, uh, He is, she helped him escape from jail, and they went on an 11-day statewide spree. Um, they, they got out of the Lauderdale County Jail in Florence, Alabama on April 29th, and 300 miles away, they got busted. And Casey surrendered, and, and Vicky was found dead with a gunshot wound, self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. And I, I just, I, I find this whole... Romancification of crime, fascinating, and we just happen to have an expert on this uh, topic uh, in house—an award-winning documentarian, the author of five books. You can find them on Amazon or wherever you find you find, find books, including *Escaping the Arroyo* and *Real to Real: The Video Store Murders*. Um, uh, Joyce Nance. Joyce has um, uh, written these uh, true crime novels, essentially that are just absolutely brilliant. Her website on Facebook is. Facebook.com slash Joyce Nance, N-A-N-C-E, author. And uh, Joyce also, generally speaking, is answering phone calls on this program. Hey, Joyce.
10: How's it going, Tom? Great.
4: (laughs) Great to hear from you inside the call screening room there. So, you know, you've written about these people. In fact, you visited, for one of your books, if I remember correctly, you visited somebody who was uh, a convicted murderer in prison for weeks uh, over the course of a year. Tell us about that.
10: On my book, Real to Real the Video Store Murders, uh, one of the convicted criminals was a woman that was uh, living at the New Mexico Women's Penitentiary outside of Grants, and I was in Albuquerque. And so I spent uh, about a year going uh, about twice a week, I mean, uh, not twice a week, twice a month um, to go visit her. And so I could understand her as a person. Um, and that was very important to me to have that inside information.
4: For the book that you were writing, yeah. For th- th- yes. So, so what is it, how, how did Vicki White, in, in your opinion, uh, you know, based on the, the, the books you've written about this and the, and, the, and the actual murderers that you've known and interviewed, how, how did Casey White convince Vicki White? Uh, to break him out of jail. He was in his mid-30s, she was in her mid-50s. What's well, How does that dynamic work out?
10: Uh, I don't know exactly how theirs worked out, but I do know that there is uh, a lot of cases where men uh, convince women to do stuff that they wouldn't otherwise do. And I don't know if it was he convinced her or she convinced him because she was actually the person in real power in that case, but, uh, you know, uh, I assume that there was some romantic uh, involvement, at least intellectually at first, mm-hmm. and um, they uh, decided to act on it, and she had the wherewithal to pull it off.
4: Isn't this the, the sort of thing where you've got, uh, in this case, Casey White, the man who's almost certainly a psychopath, I mean, you know, he's a convicted murderer. Um, and psychopaths can be very, not just clever, but they can be very charming. Um, they figure out the particular weakness or uh, need that their victim has and then use that against them. Do I, do I have that right? Uh,
10: yes, they, they are very charming, in fact, when I was visiting the woman in the penitentiary uh, I enjoyed talking to her. I would go for two or three hours at a time. And uh, I mean, she enjoyed having me there because I brought quarters so that she could put in the vending machines and eat better basically. Mm-hmm. But. Um, you know, she was charming and I was like, oh, maybe I should k- still continue to talk to her. <laughs> i like, no,
4: right.
10: <laughs> that's not a good idea. But uh, other uh, criminals that were in uh, some of my books, they uh, especially the one in that book, the man, uh, that's how he got everything that he got was uh, through his uh, quote unquote charming ways.
4: Wow. So are there any, you know, policy prescriptions or laws or th- or things that we should be thinking about or talking about to deal with this kind of situation? Or is this just, this is human nature and there's nothing we can do about it? And, uh, you know, it's, it's it mostly we just need to warn people about the dangers of charming psychopaths.
10: Well, the thing of it is, is... Uh, uh, what I consider the romanticization of uh, the true crime is the uh, sensational nature that is broadcasted on the news media and for some reason attracts a lot of women. They have a couple of stations like the Investigation Discovery Channel and another uh, web only law and crime channel by Dan Abrams, where it's 24 seven true crime. And those are watched (laughs) nonstop. And it's because people want to feel a connection to these people, but not be too close. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, as some, it's the media mm-hmm. that, cause they, they, you know, every detail about the criminal, but you know, very little about the victim.
4: That's, that's, that's very interesting. It's sort of like, you know, the, like walking by a rattlesnake, you know, it's like, uh, we're fascinated by it. We don't want to get too close to it. And, you know, if they're in jail, it's kind of a, a safe distance kind of thing. Is that...
10: Uh, Yeah, I think it's a safe distance and the bad boy thing. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, to some extent, it's about beating the system of these people that have, uh, you know, portrayed themselves as uh, charming but dangerous people. Uh, Some people, some of them are in politics. (laughs) I believe so. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I absolutely believe so. Did you, did you, uh, when you were interviewing prisoners and, and writing your five books, and I know you've been on some of these TV programs as well, talking about this stuff, um, did you, did you ever run across anybody who had also been in politics?
10: Uh, I had not come across anybody that had also been in politics. Um, I was dealing with pretty old crimes, and mm-hmm. um, so I mainly focused on. Uh, the criminals and the victims
3: yeah yeah
4: so now now but now we've got we've got some you know elected officials and people running for political office who are just proud of the Uh fact essentially that they beat up their wives and stuff I mean it's just it's totally there's one
10: that just ran for office from jail for I think beating up his wife
4: You're right, yeah, for killing his wife. For killing killing his wife. wife. Yeah, and and he won. He won this uh, Republican position. Right, so there's the
10: personification of the whole thing all in one stroke.
4: I guess. It it is absolutely extraordinary. Uh, Joyce Nance, a member of our team here on the Tom Harbin Program, an award-winning documentarian, the author of five books, including Escaping the Arroyo and Real to Real, the Video Store Murderers. um, uh, Facebook.com slash Joyce Nance Author. Joyce, thanks a lot. Thank you. It's great having you on the program. (laughs) The other things in the news today, this is particularly um, uh, bizarre. There's an in-depth report about it. If you want to really do a deep dive over at Daily uh, Kos, BrainRap published it, it's titled, Exclusive Non-COVID Excess Death Rates Ran 21 Times Higher in Reddest Counties Than Bluest in 2021. Now, what this is summarizing, this is uh, the World Health Organization just released a new report stating that nearly 15 million more people have died from COVID than were tracked worldwide. That's, you know, nationwide. Here in the U.S., we have a similar concern. This is something, this was an article from the Missouri Independent back uh, in December of last year. Short-staffed and undertrained, and overworked coroners and medical examiners took families at their word when they call to report the death of a relative at home. Coroners and medical examiners did not review medical histories or order tests to look for COVID-19. So you've got a family at home, you know, uh, dad or grandpa dies from COVID. The family's been watching Fox News. They don't want to make it look like there's more COVID out there. And so they call up and say, grandpa died, looks like he had a heart attack. Now that sounds pretty bizarre, except for the fact that there are 21 times more excess deaths, and deaths beyond what you would expect at a normal time in the year. 21 times, that's 2,100 percent increase. 21 times more deaths, unexplained deaths in red counties, bright red counties, than in bright blue counties. This is especially pronounced, this uh, report in the Missouri Independent goes on to say, this is especially, especially pronounced in rural areas of the South and Western United States, areas that heavily voted for former President Donald Trump in the 2020 presidential election. They are guessing that this approach that they have been using, see uh, coroners, I mean, they, you know, they, they don't examine people, they don't test them after they're dead, that uh, over 170,000 deaths related to the pandemic between 2020 and 2021 were almost certainly not counted, but did happen. They note coroners are elected officials and have little to no medical training. They're on record saying statements like, we do what families tell us, or we don't do COVID deaths here in this red county, or we don't have the infrastructure to go and check everybody for COVID-19. You know, they don't want to waste taxpayer money with tests on people who are already dead. It's pretty amazing. Republican ideology killing people in red counties. And it's not even a major story in the American press, which is the thing that I find the most mind boggling about all this. And with us today is Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, the senator from Rhode Island. Whitehouse.senate.gov is his website. Sen Whitehouse is his Twitter handle. And Senator, welcome back to the program. I, I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts given nationwide demonstrations about Sam Alito's draft opinion on Roe v. Wade. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on a, you know, the future of Roe and of you know abortion rights in the United States, and and how that might interact with other human rights, and also how the Supreme Court got packed this way.
11: Well, I don't think Roe has a very bright future with this court. They may want to back off a little bit from the Alito opinion, just to try to give themselves a little bit of cover. But I think the directionality is absolutely crystal clear. I think that There's more to worry about in the Alito decision than just its views on abortion, because the reason it blows up the right of a woman to have an abortion is because it's not founded in the Constitution. And it's a gravely skeptical opinion about the general right to privacy, which is the original right off of which the abortion right depends. But. Plenty of other rights depend off of that right to privacy as well, including uh, the right to marry who you wish, whether they're same sex or whether they're different race, and the right to have contraception uh, without the state regulating it. There are a lot of privacy rights out there, and this decision was a torpedo at the fundamental privacy right doctrine. Um, And this is just one piece of a much larger portfolio that this radical Supreme Court has because they were put on the court to be radical by big right wing dark money interests who now see this as their payday. They picked judges who they knew would do the crazy stuff they want them to do. That was what their goal was and to see it working should come as no surprise.
4: So, how did these guys get in a position to be essentially picking Supreme Court judges for the United States? This is another dimension of minority rule, it seems. And yep. and and how did they how did they pull it off? I, I, I realize this has been a, a kind of a forty-year effort, or maybe
11: even yeah. longer. Yeah, it's been a long effort. They had to build a lot of infrastructure. They had to build a lot of phony front groups. They had to recruit a lot of uh, politicians who'd be willing to go along with the gag. But the real machinery was when. Donald Trump said he was going to pick Federalist Society judges that it kind of surfaced and the Federalist Society was able to pick three judges. um, And they did so with a process that was completely off the books in a back room at the time when they were receiving huge anonymous contributions, though the most logical conclusion to draw is that somebody was paying very large amounts of money to be in the room. When the lists of who could be a supreme court justice and when the selection of the supreme court justice uh, was being done weird enough that this was outsourced to a private organization never happened before in history not in any country that i know of but weirder still that the process was so freaky and, and and secret and that there was so much dark money swirling around it and if that wasn't enough then once they had the names they had another private organization, also funded by dark money, run the ad campaigns against Garland for Gorsuch, for Kavanaugh, for Barrett, and then if that wasn't enough, once they've got them on the court, they've got a whole um, array of phony front groups that turn up as what are called amicus curiae, friends of the court, who file briefs in orchestrated chorus that tell the selected judges what to do, and by gum, who knew?
9: Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
4: So one of the reasons why I keep saying that I, I want you to be our next attorney general is that you have your finger on this stuff. Who are these people who are funding this? Um, is it just, uh, you know, Citizens United and its and its you know forebearers going back to uh, Buckley and and and, and whatnot um, that have enabled this? Uh, who are these people and how are they able to wield such power that they've essentially taken over an entire branch of the United States government?
11: It's a long story than longer story than we have, but Center for Media and Democracies has been able to dig out a uh, total spending on this of $580 million. Wow! And that's just what they've been able to dig out. There are dozens of groups associated with it um, that are all very coordinated. And there's kind of a feedback loop between the enterprise that packs the court and what the court does for the enterprise that packs the court. And as you pointed out, it started with Elati and then went on through an array of other decisions that one by one added more and more corporate political power when the constitution has none, zero, none. They've added more and more corporate power. And then uh, in Citizens United, by not enforcing its transparency terms and allowing huge rivers of dark money to flow, they've actually created an unlimited dark money corporate political power operation. Not in the Constitution, created by Republican appointees on the court in a steady, steady uh, program that has worked in, I guess you'd call it syncopation, with the $580 million-plus worth of political effort on the other side.
4: Now, I'm looking at separate groups that have their own... Uh, hobby horses, their own special interests. You've got um, the libertarian ideologues. You know, the uh, David Koch has passed away now, but you know, uh, famously ran for president or vice president in 1980 on the libertarian ticket, on the on a platform of you know, end Social Security, end Medicare, do, do away with all regulatory agencies, get rid of the income tax, etc. So you've got. These uh, crazed right-wing ideologues—that's one group. You've got yep. people like his brother, presumably, and others in the oil business and, and big business who chafe at having their industries regulated. Uh, you know, they—they yep. they could make more money if they could put more poison into the air or into the water, um, that kind of thing. You've got the religious freaks who are who are essentially America's Taliban, who think that women should be completely under the thumb of men. And, and, you know, next they're going to be going after, you know, uh, uh, women wearing short shorts or something like that. I mean, they have in the past. I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to remember this, from the 1950s and 60s. Um, and so you've got, you know, the religious nuts um, uh, or prudes or whatever you want to say. Um, you've got uh, some that are organized, you've got the, the evangelical, the white, the white supremacist evangelical movement, or at least the white supremacist part of the evangelical movement, and the Catholic Church, who are very interested in ending abortion. To what extent do each of And then of you've these- got
11: the Republican political network that wants to have the rules of political engagement in the country cooked. So that minority voters have a harder time voting, and that big corporate dark money has an easier time influencing.
4: Exactly. So it's a
11: it's a wide array, and the good news for all of those rascals is that if they can capture and control the Supreme Court, they all get to share in the feast.
4: So are are they collaborating with each other,
11: or is Absolutely. there a lot of overlap? How, how so? How does this happen? A lot of overlap. Well, it's a it's a bigger picture than this, and again, it would take a lot of time. But let me just focus on one group first of all they tend to operate in pairs it's called a 501c3 and a 501c4 they tend to be twinned, the same address same staff same donors same everything not no real corporate veil between the two um, but then you get groups that spin off of them that are not real groups they're just like an, a, a fictitious name for the original pair to operate through so you've got the judicial crisis network which was involved in Uh, spending the money on the ads against Garland for Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Barrett. So they were in the court packing scheme. And that's like one fictitious name of that group. But then you go on to the Honest Elections Project, and that's a voter suppression operation. It's not related to the courts, it's voter suppression stuff. And they have their own fictitious name, but it's actually the same entity. And then they created one called Free to Learn, which is out to get people outraged about critical race theory and scare people about what's going on in classrooms. So one's about education, one's about voting, one's about packing the court, and they're all actually the same legal entity.
4: Wow. Is there is there any, uh, we have about a minute and a half left here, is there any analog to that in the Democratic Party? Uh, and and how tied to the Republican Party is
11: the, are these groups? They would, they would love to say that there is. And there is a very conspicuous operation being run by the Republican dark money operation to try to smear groups on the Democratic side as being equivalent. Hmm. And the fact of the matter is we're late to the game. We're not even close. And uh, we don't have anything like the power clout or collaboration of the groups on their side. Moreover, although we do dark money, it tends to be kind of, you know, people who want to do good Mm -hmm. and to have their views uh, reflected in politics. Whereas on the Republican side, it is a money-making operation. These are groups that can put $1,000 into politics and makes $100,000 in deregulation. They can put $6 million into politics and make $6 billion in free pollution and tax breaks. So there's a persistence and a motive to the Republican side of this that we don't share.
4: Yeah, and and therefore the billionaires on the Democratic side, the the, the few that we know of, uh, tend to be more interested in good government than than advancing a, a yep. you know a personally selfish agenda. Extraordinary. That's why
11: when we when we bring up the disclose act, every Democrat is going to vote for it, and. Almost no Republicans will, if any. None have so far.
4: Sadly. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, one of the great guys. Uh, Whitehouse.senate.gov. Send Whitehouse on Twitter. Senator, thank you so much for dropping by today. Thanks, Tom. Always great talking with you. Charles in Miami. Hey, Charles, what's on your mind today?
3: Hey, how you doing, Tom? Love your show. Every time I hear Vladimir Putin threatening any other country right now while he's at war, I just think of Adolf Hitler. I think of when Hitler opened up a second front. In Russia and um, that was the end of him and I'm thinking if if his gen- if his he does something like that his generals would then definitely turn on him but I'm calling because what Alito is trying to do is that they're challenging in a way the federal government saying that states before the Civil War had certain rights that they could make these laws and not be so you know under the thumb of the federal government but right. My argument is this. Anyone who tries that today, we had a civil war. And the South Confederacy, they lost. So they forfeited that right. And that's why, you know, everything, I think, comes under the federal government. You know, this theocracy, whatever these Republicans are trying to create right now, with this um, theocracy in government, it only leads to corruption. It only leads to making people think that, or they're trying to fool people and thinking that, you know, like the Catholic Church did way in the past with, um, with Martin Luther, that they have the, the right of God and they can steal and they can, um, you know, they, they, they could do things with impunity and, and, and not be questioned. Yeah. Like even right now, I don't understand with Biden and Democrats. We need to get federal troops in every polling station, especially the ones that we know the racists are. And we need to protect people on their right to vote. We need to make sure that we have lawyers, even if it's from the federal government itself, there the very same day that they count these ballots and and after these um you know, these elections are, are called. Because I don't trust these Republicans. Not not as far yeah. as, Me as I can throw them. Yep. Okay, and, and as far as Well look what they um, just did
4: in Pennsylvania, Were they you know, one out of one out of four or was it one out of six voters in this county had their address changed to a post office box that's owned by the Republican Party?
3: For
4: I, I mean, that's insane. Yeah,
3: that, uh, This is this is their trick. Now, what I'm trying to say is this. We need to win this election. Every bit counts. And we don't need corporate Democrats. It's time now that every liberal, I mean, I'm sorry, every progressive Democrat get in a race and challenge these corporates, Repo- um, I guess you could call them Republican, Re- Republican Democrats, and get them out of there because... We're not going to get anything done. We're always going to be spinning our wheels. And American people see that. Yeah. And they look, they, they, they sometimes look to the Republicans because with their power, they're rootless. They get what they want.
4: Yeah, I'm so with you, Charles. Is, I You know, I said there was a, a, a Democrat in Canada who, a conservative, a corporate Democrat who uh, was being challenged. And I'm, forgive me for not remembering the state. I just read this story yesterday, and in, in I think it was the Financial Times. And what really pinged my brain about this was, uh, you know, happily, was that they had interviewed a voter who said, he's another Joe Manchin, and we don't need any more Joe Manchins. And I think that Joe Manchin has now become the poster child for self-dealing corporate Democrats, and the party is rapidly purging itself of them. Charles, thank you for the call. Jeff in Portland. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today?
7: Hey, shout out to Joyce. That was a really cool interview you did with her. And you know, it's not why I called. uh, Yeah, unbelievable. And it's not why I called Tom, but the rant you played of Hakeem Jeffries. Asking Clarence Thomas why he's such a hater, and to Charles's point just now, you know what Hakeem Jeffries was saying really applies to the whole Republican Party. Yep. And it echoed the 1996 George Carlin clip that went viral last week. I'm sure you've heard it, but um, you know he George said conservatives hate women. They're not pro-life. They're anti-woman. And it's a great clip for people yeah. that I encourage it really, people it really to Really, truly is. Yeah. Yeah. And to that point, let's vote for some strong progressive women this month, like Jamie McCloud Skinner here in Oregon and Jessica mm-hmm. Cisneros in Texas. Yep. So, But, you know, regarding Rand Paul, Tom, uh, in my opinion, his stance might have some legitimacy if he was asking uh, the Pentagon to pay for all of it or some of it, you know, as some of your callers were suggesting, yeah. um, but, you know, we, but he's we really not. need to.
4: He's not. But we really I'm sorry, I have to end you there because it's the end of the show. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer Nance, who was on our show today. Sue Another Patrick Hoyt, Geraldyn Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jay LeBlanc, Al Gorilla Rhythm, Connor Arroyo, and Karna Verdi, and the last four or five being the great people who helped monitor our chat room over on YouTube, too. Thank you so much to all of you. Thank you to you. Get out there, get active, tag your it.
3: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit tomhartman.com.